Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in again for another episode of The Amazing Podcast. And if you've been following us for a while, you know what we talk about here. Uh, we talk about all things Kubernetes, all things cloud native. And we bring you uh, some of the thought leaders, the innovators, and the experts from across the space, whether that's from the startup ecosystem or from the large enterprises or even from open source projects. Uh, we even had some who do consulting. So it's, it's a wide range of guests that we have on the show. I'm Twain Taylor, editor at Amazic. And if you like what you share here, I want to encourage you, go and visit amazic.com, A-M-A-Z-I-C.com. And you'll find a lot more stuff like this over there. We're bringing you the best from this space. And today we've got a really interesting startup in the space uh, that we're going to be talking to. Uh, I have with me uh, Ramiro Berieza from uh, Octato. He is the founder and the CEO. Ramiro, welcome. It's great to have you. I hope I pronounced your name right. How are you doing? Hi, Twain. You did perfectly. Thank you for having me. Uh, very excited to, to be here. Excited to talk about everything you know, cloud native, Kubernetes, dev experience. Um, but thank you for having me. All right. All right. So I wanted to start with getting to know you a bit, Ramiro. What's your background like and how did you get to founding Octeto? Yeah, that's a, that's a long story. So I was born in Mexico many years ago. I, I started my, you know, before I had a career in tech, just kind of adopting tech in Mexico, video games first, drew me to computers. <laughs> that took me to a, a CS degree. And eventually, you know, through that career, I ended up in the Bay Area. I've worked, you know, I've been an engineer for now 15, almost 20 years. Everything from big tech, Microsoft, Atlassian, all the way to startups and now to like my own uh, startup. So it's been it's been a journey of, you know, a lot of fun of working on, on mostly cloud services, developer tools. I didn't pick it, but as I, mm -hmm. as I got deeper into it, I started to kind of find it fascinating and exciting how both technologies, you know, over the past 10, 15 years have played a big part in changing how we build software. So very excited about that. And when it was time to start uh, our company, I was able to kind of mix my all my passions of like working with my friends, working on cloud services, working on developer tools, and building something to help, you know, other developers be more effective. So it's been it's been a fun journey so far. And and you know it's a it's really funny when you look back and how you see that all these choices you've made kind of took you in a certain direction. So it's uh, it's mm -hmm. been it's been very funny in, in that perspective as well. Wow, that's quite a journey. Uh, you know, and Octato is uh, in the space of within cloud native. Uh, Octato focuses on platform engineering, and we're going to be talking all about that. Uh, but I want to ask you, what what was there a particular point of uh, origin for Octato? What what's the origin story for Octato? How did you guys come together? What was what brought you guys together? Yeah, and no, of course. So um, I have two co-founders, Pablo and Ramon. And the three of us met about 10 years ago here in the Bay Area. Uh, we were working on another startup called Elastic Box. And since then, you know, this, this concerns about, hey, you know, we're moving to this first cloud, now cloud native world. Uh, applications mm -hmm. are moving from big monoliths running on premises to microservices, VMs, containers. So even back then, there was this concern around how will developers manage all this? Like, do we want them to be experts on everything? Do we need to create certain abstractions for them to kind of handle these kind of 
high-level concerns. So mm. that happened at startup. The startup was around for a few years. Then it got acquired. We each went our separate way. I ended up at Atlassian, Pablo at Docker, Ramon at, at Google. And internally, funny enough, we kind of kept seeing the same things, you know, like all these engineers, engineering leaders worried about how do I make my teams more effective? How do I help my teams manage all these complexities? How do we increase productivity by reducing, you know, the rework and all these issues that only happen in production? So all of these things is something we kind of kept seeing. So when we kind of decided, hey, you know, we want to work together again, let's do something. We did some brainstorming, but very quickly we all landed on the, hey, we're all seeing this problem. We've seen this problem in large companies, in very mature companies, in early stage. There's something here. And that's when we decided to kind of start this company very focused on the challenges that developers have and organizations have as they build cloud native applications. Specifically, how do you automate the dev infrastructure? How do you launch dev environments? How do you give everybody access to a realistic environment without with one click, without having to manage all this complexity and all this like cognitive load? And that was our mission from day one. Uh, you know, four years ago, we started first open source, then we built a commercial solution on top. And that's been our guiding light ever since is really solving this problem that we've had ourselves, that we've seen firsthand, and that now we know that pretty much everybody in the industry has. All right, all right, really interesting. Uh, sounds like what you're saying is that, uh, you know, while a lot of good things have happened in the cloud space, and uh, there's a lot of uh, technological advancement, at the same time, uh, developers have sort of struggled to keep pace with all of that and be as productive as they would want to be. And probably I think there's a shadow of Kubernetes on all of this because, you know, uh, that's been the big, uh, you know, the big shift in the past few years, uh, just the importance of Kubernetes and how it's become central to the whole process of building and shipping software. Uh, what do you have to say about this, the rise of Kubernetes and what it means for developer experience? Yeah, it's, it's been a very interesting journey because, you know, like every other technological advancement, it's all about trade-offs. Like we went, you know, in, in, in over the span of roughly 15 years, we went from physical data centers to VMs, to the cloud, to containers, and now to Kubernetes. So it's been a constant evolution of how we get software delivered. Uh, a lot of benefits, you know, like we broke down these massive applications. We now ship multiple times per day. We have immutable infrastructure, so you know what's running in production. Uh, and all this is necessary. However, it did brought some complexities with it. And, and one of the biggest complexities I've seen is how we had to go from, I have this application that I can run on my laptop. It's a single binary, you know, a single jar file uh, in the Java years, to now my application is this orchestration of multiple pieces of microservices, of cloud services, APIs, infra code, networking policies, all that stuff. So naturally, like it's more complex. We can do a lot more. And I think that's something that gets sometimes lost in the conversation is how these trade-offs are allowing us to do a lot more. Sure, Kubernetes can be complex, but it's doing a lot for us that before you had to do manually. So I think it's a net gain. 
I think what we need to do next, and, and, and going back to your question, is now we need to focus on building a developer experience for this world. A developer experience is something that we didn't, as an industry, didn't care too much for the longest time. You know, we're very focused on operations, production, and we care about that. The, the, you know, the experience of IT, of the operations team, of DevOps. I think now it's time to think of like for developers, what is that experience? What, is those, what are those choices we want to make for the developer, like the level of abstraction, the technology, the stack, and which choices we want to leave to the developer? And I think having that conversation, those trade-offs, and building the tools to support those conversations is what's happening now and is what's really needed because, you know, not making a choice and then letting every developer in your organization figure it out as it goes, is not, it's just not productive. You know, from one from one side, as an organization, it is not in your best interest to have every developer do its own thing. Because then you end up with like 50 different ways to do deployments, 50 different ways to do development. It's a waste of time. It's hard to standardize and it makes it very expensive for somebody to change from one team to the next. Also, from the other perspective, it's like, you don't want developers spending time on this. You want them to spend most of the time on the problems that are going to move your business forward. So that's where the role, that's why developer experience is quickly becoming, and platform engineering, very important, because that is the practice, the tooling, the discipline to start to make those these choices in a more deliberate manner, in a way that enables both the developer, but also the business to, to be effective and, and you know, operate at the highest, you know, possible abstraction and, and to deliver the most value that you can. Wow, pretty interesting. Uh, I find it interesting that you talk about how developers shouldn't need to know Kubernetes. And, uh, you know, the result of that is, of course, the rise of platform engineering. And there's there's new platform team now that organizations have. Uh, and as we get into that, I wanted for you to uh, define for us this term of platform engineering or the platform team uh, just to kind of crystallize it for us. How do you understand it? Uh, what does the platform team do? What is platform engineering all about? Yeah, that's it's becoming a very loaded term very quickly. And I find it kind of interesting because to a certain degree, we've always had platform teams. They were called something else, right? But most companies moved away from every developer runs everything long time ago. Like CI, one of the first things were like, we all discovered, hey, you don't want every team to run their CI server. You want one CI server for the company that a team manages. So I see platform engineering as the evolution of that. To me, platform engineering is, is this team, which can be virtual, like a group of people or a, a formal team, who owns designing, building, and running all the common services that everybody needs. This can be common infrastructure your cloud account, your CI, your source control. This could be you know, a common application infrastructure, a logging service, a Grafana cluster, Kubernetes clusters, all the way to even what, um, you know, Microsoft called this patterns and practices. I like that term, which is a team that decides what does like a REST API look like for this company? What does a queue, you know, an event-based service looks like for this company. So for me, platform 
is the team that owns all of this. And this can be, depending on the size of the company, as big as like, here's a template and here's a CLI, this is what you use. Or as lightweight as like, hey, here's some published standards. These are some ideas and here's some APIs. Feel free to take them and, and use them. I've seen both happen, but I think it's important for, for the reasons we were talking about before, where expecting every developer to be an expert on everything is unfair. It, it makes them less effective. I think having the central team that cares about this common topics is very important. Like, you know, like moving to Kubernetes, right? That shouldn't be the decision of one team or one developer. That's a, a large decision. Or, hey, we're going to use Datadog or Dynatrace or Grafana. Ideally, that should be a company or like an organization-wide decision, not the individual. So this is the kind of things that now I'm seeing belong to the charter of the platform, um, the platform engineering organization, team, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one word that stood out to me in uh, your explanation is uh, the word common. And, uh, you know, I think about how, uh, you know, there's kind of a standardization of uh, these resources and these processes. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, and, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, but I'm kind of wondering about this uh, idea of, you know, how much of it is common versus how much of it is custom and uh, what you've seen uh, in the conversations you've had. Have you seen a lot of organizations struggle to accept that their issues are common issues and they can be solved by common solutions? And you see a lot of people thinking, you know, our issues are unique to our organization and we need to do it, do it our way. Have you seen that kind of mindset prevalent or do you see that becoming less and less? No, I, I I see it a lot. I, I think it's natural where like everybody I talk to and myself included, right? We all think that what we do is very unique. And, you know, we all feel like, you know, my application is unique, my process, there's no way that, you know, a, a system could unify this. But then as we all kind of go through the process, that's what we realize, well, I guess it's not that unique. You know, there's this joke that, you know, all we do in development is move, you know, bits from one place to the next. And it's all about like updating a database somewhere. Um, but it's interesting because as, as you engage with people and, and, and you discuss, you do start to see how there are a lot of common patterns. Um, you know, all the way up to like, hey, we're all using the same cloud providers. So we all agree that, you know, compute, storage, network, are the fundamental units of cloud. We all use Kubernetes to a certain degree or, or some other orchestration layer. So you start to see some commonalities. When it gets more interesting to me is when you get to like kind of the application definition. But that's what I see, especially in, in more mature organizations. This very healthy tension between, yes, what we do is unique. We provide a, we provide a unique value as an organization. But that doesn't mean we have to do everything from scratch. I think like good engineering leaders are able to find a healthy balance where they can fall back to open source standards for that 80% so they can focus all their energy on the 20% who will make their business successful. That's one of the things that we do when we talk to our customers. You know, we, we, should, we, we sell a platform. So a lot of the conversations are like, well, yeah, I see the value of what you build, but you would never fit it because we do things in a very unique manner. And then the conversation shifts to like, is it in your best interest as a company to be so unique? 
because then, you know, when you're hiring somebody, they have to train you on everything that you're unique about. When you're like trying to like grow your company, when you're trying to like hook up to some existing technologies, then you need to like adapt them to your unique way. So I think a lot of companies are realizing the value of like having certain common standards and abstractions. Like to me, to this day, Kubernetes is amazing, not only as a piece of software, but also as, as an organization. I think the CNCF did a fantastic job of convincing you know, a lot of people of like, hey, this is the standard. Let's all agree that Kubernetes and these APIs, this is what we're all going to use to build things on top. And that kind of like, if you remember maybe 10 years ago, there was like Swarm and Mesosphere and Kubernetes and Nomad and a few more, right? And now yeah. like people talk about Kubernetes and you know there are others there, but they don't have like significant market traction. Yeah. So I think that's possible. And I think that's something that we all have to challenge ourselves and organizations, especially at like the senior leadership level of like, hey, if, if you think you're unique for everything, is that really a good thing? Is that really serving you as an engineer? Are you solving problems or are you just kind of like, because, I mean, are you solving problems because you want to move your business forward or are you solving problems just for the fun of it? And depending on the stage of your company and where you are, one answer might be better than the other, but I, I do find that there is a shift towards change. The adoption of open source, the adoption of, of this kind of like industry-wide standards like Git, like CI, like cloud providers, I think are helping a lot driving the conversation towards the default being use something external and not being like, hey, we have to build everything from zero. Like you don't see companies building databases anymore uh, or, or OSs from scratch or source control systems, only the very large ones. So it's, it's, I think it's a positive change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that 80-20 principle, I think applies to so much in life and definitely as you think about uh, your teams and what your business is focusing on, focus on that 20% that's really unique to your business and don't try to reinvent the wheel with the remaining 80%. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and uh, one of the ways you can really gain an edge uh, with this 80% is uh, automation. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about it and, you know, a lot of people are putting a lot of effort into automating deployments. Uh, but, uh, Perhaps what I hear you saying is that there's a lot of opportunity in automating platform operations. And if you can automate that stuff that developers need to have to get their work done, there's a lot of value, tremendous value in that. Could you talk a bit on this? Uh, what is the opportunity here uh, to automate stuff related to developer experience? And why should organizations go this extra mile to automate not just their deployments, but also the developer experience and platform operations. Yeah, this, this is a very interesting trend we're seeing. Kind of this whole world of developer experience automation. Um, mm -hmm. I think the opportunity is very large because, as, as you said, for the longest time, we we're focused on kind of automating deployments. And, and that's, to a certain degree, a solved problem, right? We all know how to like build containers, push them. Now, what a lot of organizations are realizing is that there's one production, but you might have a thousand engineers working. And these thousand engineers are still doing a lot of manual work to get what I call ready to work. Check out your repo, install dependencies, figure out how to start those services so you can develop, figure out how do you get your code into those services so that you can iterate on your solution, data, 
Where do I get a cloud account? Where do I get, you know, which feature flex system are we using? There's all these steps, you know, and, and there's always this joke when you join a new company that they give you a readme and there's like 10, 15, 20 steps, right? What's not as funny is that those 20 steps take time, take mental energy. And it's not a one-off cost. Like every time that you're working on a new project, every time that you switch teams, every time that you have somebody else join your team, you have to go through that again. And that is like wasted time. Like I've talked to, you know, one of the biggest benefits of being a founder, a CEO is I get to talk to a lot of companies and a lot of like engineering leaders in the space. And a lot of companies are now tracking this, right? And, you know, onboarding an engineer in some of these organizations takes three months, six months, you know, before they can be effective. And a lot of that is because there's so much work that needs to be done manually that is not accounted for. Like you just assume, okay, you need a database, go get it. But then the, the, the hire is like, okay, which database, from where, which container, where's the data coming from? Is it local, is it remote? Like there's all these choices, right? So by, by providing an environment where all of this is fully automated, where you, know, you can tell developers, hey, just run this one command and we will give you everything you need. That to me is kind of like the next huge productivity gain, the same way that you know SSO did it a few years ago. It's like, hey, log in, everything is there for you. You don't have to worry about where your cluster is running. You don't have to worry about which AWS account you're going to be using, which logging system we use, which feature flags, which database, which data scheme. All of this will be automated for you. And that way, developers, and focus on building value. Like one of our one of our customers launched Darkly. Uh, their CTO had this very clear mandate of like, hey, I want to make sure that an engineer that we hire is going to push the production on the first week. And for them, this was a proxy to the health of their engineering organization. So they invested a lot in, in this kind of a developer experience automation so that when you join, you're like, hey, welcome to launch Darkly. Go here, click one button. Okay, we have an environment for you. Start understanding the architecture, start understanding the code, but you know, start in what makes the company unique. You don't start by, how do I run this microservice? And, and that's kind of going back to what you're saying of like a common way, like a standardization using public available tools help a lot because then you don't have to train everybody over and over. But definitely having this one click experience for everything they've experienced, not just for production, not just for deployments, Think about like account provisioning, uh, think about data provisioning, getting your code to see the changes. All that stuff is important to automate. And especially for developer experience, it has to be very fast. Self-service, fast, consistent, uh, standard, because that way then your entire team is operating on a common set of like standards and they all go fast, they all help each other and they're not gonna like getting a stock all the time on like, hey, step five, step 15, step 30 of their onboarding process. Again, whether this is for new hires, new projects, or just somebody who's like, hey, I want to create a new environment because the old one is not working well. All of these people have to pay all this like, you know, mental tax, all this cognitive load. So by automating all of that, it's just one less problem. And then they can focus more on, again, what makes the business unique. That is where you want your developers to spend, you know, 80% of the time. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, and, you know, uh, I wanted to kind of segue from there, talking a bit about uh, Oketo, uh, the product that you're building. Uh, so could you tell us about uh, what is Oketo, what's its uniqueness, uh, and what's its approach to platform engineering uh, that makes it unique from other solutions? And I know that there are many that are, you know, uh, startups or, or even open source solutions. Uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of understand how is Oketo's approach unique to platform engineering? Yeah, yeah. So there is a platform that automates the developer experience of everybody in an organization. You start by developers. You start by giving developers one-click um, access to like fully configured environments that look like production. But then, you know, as developers, as tests, PMs, pretty much every stakeholder in an organization, all the way to like C-level people, can use Optero to kind of get an environment and interact with the product. Um, what makes us different and, and kind of our focus here is we're very focused, one, in the world of cloud native applications. Like Octero is cloud native. We build this for the challenges that companies building, you know, microservices and cloud infra on top of Kubernetes have. Uh, we come from this world. We've been in this world for a while. So we have a very unique perspective, very related on this. Um, but what really makes us like truly unique is we're very focused on the developer experience. Other platforms first focus on production, on deployments, as you were saying early, and then they figured out, okay, how do I make this available for developers? And you see a lot of things in the market where environments are the same. It's just a different label, dev, stage, prod. We took a completely different approach. Like we do a lot of things in our product to make the lives of developers easier. We do things like, you know, we ship Octeta with a container build service on the cluster and a container registry on the cluster because we want to make builds as fast as possible and container pushes and pulls as fast as possible for the developer. We have a UI that abstract, abstracts most of Kubernetes. So you get the status, your logs, and error messages, because that's what most developers need. We have a, a full layer for the platform team to you know, do things like, hey, standardize what an environment looks like, to have some governance rules so that they can set up the rules for every developer and they don't have to go and enforce them one by one. We have some cost control features as well. We do things like, hey, scale your infra up and down, you know, at night so you save money and bring it back up in the morning so your developers are ready to roll. We do all those things. So it's, it's a very unique point of view. And it's a strong bet we're making on platform teams as the facilitators of the developer experience for the entire organization. And we start with dev, but, you know, test, PMs, and other stakeholders. Like, my goal, my my personal mission with Octeto is that I want everybody on the organization to be part of the software development lifecycle. You know, not just kind of, hey, developers, and then you put it in production, and then everybody else kind of takes a look. No, like, like we have these feature called preview environments where you can have a, a full environment attached to your pull request, which means that the CEO of your company can go, click on that link, and see a new feature and give you feedback, even if they don't have a clue about code or you know your design team can see the change they asked for in action even before it's merged and they can give you feedback. All these dynamics is something that our platform enables that is very unique and very focused on what we consider the kind of like the the goal is standard of what a high functioning software organization uh, should work. And that's why we use a lot development and not developer 
because we want to make this inclusive to everybody who's part of the development, not just people who know how to write or read code. This has to be for more people. And, and you know, that comes from the founders, the, all of us having this experience and, and seeing this and, and some of the great companies out there. Uh, and that's what makes us really unique, you know, and, and, and you know, we leverage standards, Kubernetes and other open source tools as well. So we make it easier for, for people to adopt our platform. But at the core, this vision of the experience of automation, this vision of how do we enable software organizations to ship software faster is what sets us apart. And what you know, our customers so far love it and, and they really adopt it very widely. Wow, that sounds like it's packed with a lot of features and a lot that we need to kind of, uh, you know, dig into a bit. I'm really interested to see if this, uh, you know, the container registry, uh, the build server, the uh, the preview environments uh, that you're talking about, so much of these that uh, have follow-up questions to ask about. But I think some of those would get answered if you could show us a quick uh, demo of your product, yeah. works, what it looks like. What are the most common use cases? Uh, how do people navigate through it? I'd love to see Octeto in action. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Let me let me share my screen and, and we'll go at it. So what I want to show you today is our demo instance of Octeto. Octeto, uh, you know, like most modern solutions, there's there's two of them. Um, there's a SaaS solution that you just sign up and we give you everything. And there is a self-hosted solution where you can install Octeto on any Kubernetes cluster. Like that's all, all we need. If you have a cluster running somewhere and it's Kubernetes, you know, in a fairly in a modern version, 124 or newer, that's all you need. Helm install Octeto and it's up and running. So when you install Octeto, this is the first thing you get is you get a UI. It's going to help you and your team manage the full experience. Um, no, you install Octeto, you're the admin. So you have admin, you have access to an admin section. Uh, main things you can do here, you can see who's using your cluster. You can see the consumption. You can see who's using what. But more importantly, and this is where the experience starts, you have access to a catalog where you can define what environments you want your team to have access to. And this kind of like typically is step one of our customers. Platform team installs Octeto and says, okay, I'm going to pilot with these five teams. Great. Team one. You need these repos, team two, you need these environments, and they put them all here. So that by the time you come in and log in, you don't have to worry about this anymore. You click launch environment, and you see this, a list of which environments you have access to. They're pre-configured. All the rules are there, um, whether they're on Kubernetes, on your cloud account, or like a mix. You as a developer, you don't care about it. In this case, I'm going to show you the Octaku shop. It's one of our standard demos. You click on it. You can change your branch if you want. But you know, typically, you start with main, but maybe you have a branch in development. You can change it here. A few more things there. You can add extra variables. You can set up some extra things. In this case, because this environment deploys in AWS using Terraform, it has a default role, but you could apply your own if you want. And then you click Launch. I pre-launch one environment just so that we can kind of see it once it's it's up and running. But this is where all the features of Octeto start to kind of like building together. You click launch as a developer. That's all you care about. Octeto will figure out what containers need to be built. 
what images are already existing and they can be pulled from like your private registry. It will deploy your workloads. If they're on Kubernetes, it'll put them there. If they're in the cloud, it will deploy them on your cloud account. Everything for you. If there's, you know, even like other things that need to be provisioned, it will do it for you. This is what an environment who's up and running looks like. You can see all the components here to give you a, um, actually, you can see that you can even embed documentation in your environment. So I can click here and understand, hey, what is this environment about? This demo is a cloud native application that mimics kind of a, a small restaurant. So it has three microservices. One to show you the menu, one to give the kitchen orders of what to cook, and then one to one to calculate the check. And it also leverages cloud infrastructure. It uses an, it uses an SQSQ, so it can scale async between menu and kitchen. They're like event-driven services. And then it uses an S3 bucket to store the checks so that you can kind of have a, a historical record of who ordered what. All of this is, as you saw, I just click deploy and it's up and running. But once it's fully deployed, I have access to this environment just for me. You can see there's a menu service. There's a kitchen service. And there's a check service. And it's everything is up and running just for me. So I can go here. Everything is running remotely. And I can put another, right? Three tacos. Let's say nachos and one guacamole. I'm interacting with the application. I know that it works. I click order now. This will send the message to the queue. You can see it here. It's already here. The kitchen says, okay, one guacamole, ready. Nachos, ready. Tacos. Ready, perfect. Then, hey, check please. I go to the check. It's here, got generated based on the order I just placed. I can click on my receipt and I can see it here. This is a st stored in S3. So now I have access to a fully configured environment that looks like production just for me. As, as we saw on this readme, this is using AWS, Kubernetes, Helm, containers, everything just for you. But as a developer, you don't have to worry about those things. You click launch. Your platform team pre-configured the button for you. You click launched, you launched it. And, and that's all you need. And this example provisions you know, AWS and that. We have other examples like this one, where we're provisioning a launch darkly uh, feature flag environment together. So you can actually turn feature flags on and off as you develop and many things more. But the core of this is this. Pre-configured environments where you don't have to worry about how to configure them. They're up and running. They look like production. And then we have tooling. We have IDE plugins and a command line so that you can do things like synchronize your code, attach a debugger. You know, like we give you the full development lifecycle as if, you know, the same way you're developing locally, you open VS Code, you open IntelliJ but you can interact with this environment that is remotely. And that is kind of stage one of, of Octero. This is one of the features that most of our customers like use first. It's just, hey, give developers these environments that you can see here, I'm running five different environments on the cloud. Nothing is running locally. I don't have to worry about memory, CPU, are they out of date? Anytime I can click redeploy, I can destroy it. I don't care. It goes away. I can get another one. It's free. 
all that is kind of like the the new world of like moving to like this world of like dev experience automation. You can see here you have a bunch of them. And that is an aspect of it. You, know, you get things like cost control where you can configure Octeto and you can see it here. No, this one, no. Here where some of my environments are sleeping because nobody has used them for a few days. So then Octeto will be like, you know what? I'm going to put this to sleep so you don't have to pay for that infrastructure, but really just, but they're there. When you need them, they'll be back. And, and this is part of, of the automation that goes beyond deployment, right? We're automating the environment, account creation, data, your infrastructure, up and down, access, all those things. Preview environments work the same way, just that instead of having to launch it manually, I open a PR here. I made a small change to kind of give me a more robust uh, health check. And Octeto creates an environment for me. It's here. So I can actually go and click on this. And, and you'll see that in this case, it's not online. It will bring it up. But you can see that it's here. And it's available. So I can click of like even the cloud resources. If I go back here, you'll see there's a few more. Let's. Uh, I think this is the one I'm looking into. Uh, and you can see those here. And, and you can have as many as you want. You can see here that I have multiple services, different repositories. The idea here is you always have an environment available. This can be tied up to your CI. This can be tied up to your code review process. This can be tied up to a manual process where everybody goes and spins an environment. But it's all about making it super easy for them to have an environment that feels like production where they can develop, they can do tests, they can like, you know, one of our customers actually even uses Octeto for like their conference demos. You know, their presenters can just go to Octeto, deploy an environment from any branch they want, and then show this live to their own customers, to their own audience. That to me is, a, is, a, is kind of like the future of like, to enable the experience of the entire organization so nobody's blocked and like, hey, engineering, can you create an environment? Hey, platform, can you spin up something because I need to do a demo next week? No, no. Go to a dashboard like this. Click select. In this case, I'm going to launch a different one. Launch. And everything is up and running. Wow. And that is a, a very high level. Like, There's a lot that we can kind of like get deep into. Yeah. A lot of things, you, you won't see them by design because we want to make it transparent to developers. Like, hey, it just works. Click launch, it just works. You don't have to worry about where is the container being built? What is the tag of the container? Which account in AWS am I using? It's like, no, no, it gets provisioned. It has the right tags. It has the right setup. It's a standard. It's replicable. It's governed. But you as a, as a user don't have to worry about it. It's all the good things of standardization, all the good things about governance without the traditional hassle that comes with it of like, oh, I did the wrong thing. I have to go fix it. With this kind of tooling, like you, you don't do the wrong thing. You deploy what's configured and you go from there. And that to me is very freeing and is one thing you don't have to worry about. Wow, oh, that's amazing. I can see it. So cloud-centric and uh, very, uh, I think it put a lot of thought into just uh, the interface and just making sure everything is as simple as it can get. And there's just very few distractions and very few, uh, you know, yes. it, it does 
complex. It looks very inviting, not daunting. Uh, I, I like that's, that. That's a goal of us. Like a goal of us is, is that is, is, you know, our, our partners are the platform teams. They set up Octeto. And it's interesting because then they have to sell the platform to their own users, which is the, you know, the developers, the PMs, the stakeholders of the company. So we need to make sure that we partner with them in, in a way they can build this inviting offering, as you're saying, so that it gets adoption. Because you can't force companies to use tools, but if you make something that is clearly going to make their lives easier or is going to let them go faster, then they, they'll be like, yeah, that's something I want to involve in my workflow. And, and so far, it's very exciting when you when we see some of our customers and then, you know, internally, everybody uses now this kind of like automated environments. It's really cool to see like how much more efficient they become. And, and I'm glad that we can play a part of that. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's on the service of, of this company has been able to, you know, fulfill their mission, ship software faster, deliver value faster through the use of, of tools like this. That is, uh, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are some ways that teams collaborate around uh, these things that they do in Octator? So, for example, you create an MVP and you put something out there. Someone sees it. They've got some feedback to give on it. How do they collaborate? To uh, Do you have some integrations with Slack or other stuff? How do teams typically coordinate and collaborate around these different versions and feedback and stuff? Yeah, yeah, we have different collaboration models. So from the internal to the company, Everything you see in the UI is defined as code. The environment itself is defined on a YAML file, the catalog, everything. So the first point of collaboration is when teams kind of take the existing application automation manifests, make changes, send PRs, and collaborate among themselves. Like some of our customers, what they do now is they kind of publish internally this repository, kind of like reference, like templates. And they're like, oh, you want to create a new API service? We have a template. And that template includes the configuration for CI, for Octero, for linting, and and for any other tools they have, right, for Backstage. That's the first level of collaboration. Second level is we have a lot of integrations. We integrate with, uh, as you saw, with GitHub, with GitLab, with Jira, with all the cloud providers, LaunchDarkly, MongoDB. Like, one of our goals is you bring your tools to Octero. Whatever you use, you bring your Coctero. So we integrate with all of these things. On the ID front, we integrate with VS Code, IntelliJ. Uh, we're building a few things there as well. Now, as a company, one of the things that we really, I'm very proud of how we do things, is we have a very close collaboration loop with our customers. Like we're building a tool for developer experience. So we have to understand what this means for different customers. Um, we have different ways of interacting with companies. Everything from like kind of share Slack channels, support tickets. We do monthly webinars. It's it's really I really like it, and it's something I think we do really well, which is kind of keeping this communication loop open. The customers now we're trying to even like put them in touch with each other, so they can you know learn of of more than the product is like learn about this new world of like how mo- how mo- what else can you automate? What patterns do you need to follow as you move to this world of like environments, ephemeral environments on demand, their experience automation. So it's it's a fascinating world because you know the product helps you enforce a certain practice or like a methodology. So then when you see customers 
for users, like go from like the product to kind of discuss more the methodology. That's really exciting because that's when you see, hey, they're not thinking in terms of like, how can I get more value? How do I build a better organization? And the fact that our tool can be a, an enabler of that or a catalyzer of this change in, in how they build and, and develop software, that is very exciting. And to me, that is the ultimate proof that you're shipping something that provides value. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, really exciting. And what are some of the early results that your customers see uh, when they start using Octato and how long do these results typically take uh, to see? Yeah, the, the first result you see is, is a significant increase on decrease on onboarding time. You know, kind of what you saw today, like you log in, you click one button and you have an environment running. So the amount of time it takes for a developer to be able to kind of send a pull request, that goes down significantly on day one. Like normally it takes a, a company, depending on how complex the environment is, a day, a week uh, to kind of get something on Octero, like a few microservices. Some of our companies, customers, we work with them to kind of get the entire thing on Octero that takes a bit longer. Uh, but that is the first thing they get. The other thing they get fairly quick is a, it's a clear reduction of, of the time they spent on CI. This is because as you have access to Red environments, you're no longer waiting for CI to be the only place where you validate things. You have an environment that's already on Kubernetes that has all your components. So a lot of the issues, especially integration issues, are found a lot earlier than before. Uh, more long-term, um, developer satisfaction, retention, productivity. A lot of our customers are now doing kind of like DevX surveys once or twice per year. And it's fascinating to see how tools like Octero and other platform initiatives have a direct correlation on developer satisfaction. They're like, great, I don't have to worry about this anymore. That means I can work on like the cool stuff. I can work on like my thing. And that makes them take more risks do more innovation, uh, you know, like have less attrition of your company. Uh, and you can see this in like six, 12 months. Like it's it's amazing how once a company decides, hey, we're going to move this direction, we're going to invest more on the experience of our developers. If they do it right, um, the satisfaction of the developers goes up and a happy team delivers more value. I mean, this is like, there's so much kind of information out there and so much proof of this. Uh, that is just a matter of how you get them there. But we've seen all this. And, you know, now we have like a lot of customers in different stages. So we get a chance to observe this on everything for, you know, four to 100s, all the way to like super early startups. And we consistently see this as some of the values of adopting a platform like Octero. Uh, and, and fairly quick, to be honest. <laughs> so, you know, you talk a lot about simplifying and making it easy for developers to get stuff done. But, you know, if you could give us a bit about uh, how do you make it easy for platform engineers to get stuff done as they are uh, designing their uh, cloud resources, the templates, the config, mm -hmm. uh, the access, uh, all of that. Uh, what are some of the ways that Octato makes it easy for the platform engineer to get started and to do things on a regular basis? Yeah, the first, the first thing that we, where we make it easier for them is by giving them a platform where they can try these things. Like they don't have to provision them. Like the same way developers get access to like this automation, 
as the platform team develops this automation, they use Octet as well. So the first thing, first thing is you have access platform, pass iteration, that. The biggest um, kind of value gain for platform teams is that then Octeto is the platform that they can use to drive this standardization across teams. Because when you're having developers do things by hand, it's very hard to ensure consistency. It's very hard to ensure that everybody's doing the right thing. Because, you know, we take shortcuts, we forgot steps, you know, like I work for companies where like the man was like, okay, you use, you use this AWS account and everything you, you deploy, please remember to put these labels and you delete it at the end. And then everybody forgot because you're in a rush and that was not important to my deliverable. And then you, you need someone from the platform team to review and then reach out and say, hey, you forgot this label. Can you add this? Can you do that thing? So that is time consuming and frustrating. So we give them a platform where all of this is taken care of. Like the deployment is automated, the provisions automated, the rules are automated. Uh, even things like, hey, shut down your environments at night so we can save some cloud spend. Uh, with our platform, it's automated. They set up a policy and, and it just happens. So all of these things free platform teams from these very annoying tasks of like going every day and checking all these things so they can focus again on what makes a difference, right? These broader initiatives. What else can I automate? Which other teams can I put? You know, it's like governance and standardization on autopilot. You don't think about it. You give a great experience to developers that, you know, I hope they love. But at the same time, you also solve the needs that, you know, the, the bosses of the platform team have. I want to have a consistent spend in cloud. I want to make sure that everybody's on the same version of Kubernetes and the same version of the database and XYZ. So by giving them a, a platform to automate all of this, I hope that we're making their lives easier. So far, we've gotten regret good feedback uh, on, on this and, and they really like the, you know, nobody likes to be the, the gatekeeper and like the person kind of saying, oh, you did this wrong, here's a fine. Uh, no, people want to enable other teams and be like, hey, here's the rules, here's a sandbox, go do your thing. And our platform, is built with this in mind and, and you can tell as you use it. And, and that's been one of the biggest, I think one of the things that we, you know, we placed a bet on this in the early days. So, hey, we're gonna build this direction. We got it right. It was a mix of like knowing the market, having experience and also a bit of luck. And I'm really glad because this is really setting us apart. And it's something that our customers really, really love is this idea of like set up the rules put them in autopilot and let developers focus on what they do best. Developers or PMs, everybody else. The last question I have for you, Ramiro, is uh, as you look ahead, uh, what do you think about the space? You know, we've reached a level of automation and ease of use uh, much better than previously. And, you know, you guys have been at the forefront of this, this whole movement to make things simple, make things consistent, predictable, uh, move faster. Uh, what do you think is the next step from here? Uh, what do you see on the horizon for platform engineering and developer experience? That's a good question. Um, so first, there's there's like an emerging new types of applications. So you have WebAssembly making a, a strong kind of like presence, service catalogs or something else. Like I think the next 
evolution of what we're doing is definitely giving developers more information, everybody more information on what they need. I think that's where like things like backstage kind of giving you the, inf the operational information are very important. Um, in our world, being able to give developers access to specialized workloads is something very important as we move into a world of like AI, machine learning. Like some of our customers already use, you know, Tero to provision environments in like GPU heavy, you know, infrastructure. Things you can't run on your laptop anymore. Like you can't really run a model in your laptop. But if you have a infra with like a ton of GPUs and you can give access to your developers, access to that to your developers, it's a whole new world. So that's something we've seen kind of changing a lot. Um, definitely to me though, like seeing the cloud as an extension of your laptop is the next thing. Like I think more and more people are like, yeah, of course, like I'm no longer limited by, you know, my local network and my local CPU and memory, even though like, you know, MacBook Pros might be like super powerful. If you have an AWS account or like a Google Cloud account, Azure, you have infinite resources. So plugging that in into your day-to-day -day automatically, uh, to me, that is kind of like the next big step in like unlocking, you know, that 10x productivity that we're searching for. But it's it's there's still a lot to work to be done. There's a lot of like their experience to do. I think most companies are still in the understanding that this is a problem phase. So my expectation is the next two, three years, we're going to see a lot of companies kind of having that light bulb moment of like, oh yeah, we need to invest on this. And then very quickly um, start automating everything because it's, it's such an obvious benefit once you see it running. Uh, you know, but that's the hard work. We need to convince all these companies that this is a problem that they should kind of like solve today and not postpone and, and not prioritize other things. But it's a very exciting world. Wow. Really exciting. Uh, cloud as an extension to your laptop. Wow. Uh, that's a great thought to end our conversation on platform engineering and Octaton. Uh, but uh, before you go, Ramiro, I've got a couple of questions to get to know you a bit. Uh, so I want to ask you, uh, what would be your alternate career path if not for your career in tech? That's a good question. I've, I've always been in Texas as a kid. Um, I like journalism. I think if I wasn't a developer, I probably would have gone into like news. I like writing. I like train ideas. I always, you know, read the newspaper and stay on top of, of kind of like the, the what's happening today. So maybe that would be a, a second career. But I'm very lucky that I really like what I do. Like I still write code in my spare time. Uh, so I, it's really hard for me to think of any other career. I'm, I'm really lucky that I found this early on in my life that, you know, this is the only thing I know how to do, but I, I enjoy it. So that, that helps a lot. Very cool. <laughs> what is one work tool you can't live without? One tool I can. So I actually, let's see if I can put it. I really like, I have this mechanical keyboard oh, that yeah. I really like. Mm -hmm. I like the sound of it. I like the feel of it. Uh, mm -hmm. And I like that it's a small, like, I don't know if you can tell, but it's it's the it's a small size. It doesn't have like the, it's, the keyword. It's by Keychron. I forgot the model. I bought it like five years ago. But every time I travel and I don't have this keyword, I, I miss it. <laughs> you know, there's something very satisfactory about like clicking on like, so I'm old enough that I actually learned to type on like a typewriter. So I, I like the physical, the physicality of, of typing on, on a mechanical keyboard compared to like the laptop. Like this flat kind of like 
almost like transpire, like invisible keywords. So I like that a lot. I think it's, I think it's a beautiful, and it's not, they're not even that expensive. I just think it's a very beautiful mm-hmm. um, piece of hardware. Very interesting. I think I'll be trying one of those. I think my keyboard needs an upgrade. <laughs> no, that's a, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, of Keychron. They're not that expensive and, and very well built. Like I've been tapping on this every day for the past five years. And, wow. and okay. I have chunky fingers, so I type hard and it still works. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what's something you found out about being a startup founder that you didn't know before you founded uh, a startup, your own startup? Um, being a good writer is a very good skill for a founder like being able to put your thoughts in writing whether it's for a customer like on a website or a blog post for an investor or for like your your hires like storytelling especially in writing is something that i now that i know this i wish i had practiced before because it's a skill that you develop but it's something that is very important for founders that I think most people don't really consider. And, and the other one is, is sales. Everything you do as a founder is sales. So being good at like the sales process, convincing people, expressing your ideas in a way that is clear and succinct and in the language that the listener speaks, those are like fundamental skills for a successful founder. Uh, some great advice. I see that you know you put a lot of effort into learning beyond just tech. More about how do businesses work, how does productivity work, how does collaboration and communication work, and yeah, shows really good blend of all of this. Uh, that's that's awesome. What is uh, one uh, software tool, a product that you think is very elegantly built? Uh, Excel. I think Excel is the best piece of software we've ever done. It's amazing how you can use it for like the simplest things, like just kind of keeping a list of, you know, your groceries all the way to like, you know, every company, even like the super big ones run their finance on Excel. So it's amazing how much you can do and how it does have a super hard adoption curve compared to other tools. I'm very surprised by how well they manage the, you know, the same tool can be used for beginners or for like power users. And one experience doesn't really get in the way or the other. Like, you know, I'm not a power user. I know how to do like sums and averages, but then yeah. I see what our you know CFO does and it's like, oh my God, this is the same tool. Yes. So I think it's very elegantly made. I think it's something that is just such a part of life. We don't really think of it as software anymore. And it runs like the world's economy. It runs in Excel. So it's, I've always find it like fascinating um just how good it is do you like google sheets just as much no because <laughs> i think google sheets i think that they brought the world forward and like having things run in the browser and i remember i remember small enough to remember when gmail and then google docs came up and i was like wow you can do this with the web i think they they pushed the web 20 years forward mm-hmm. But I think that you can do like the power user things. Like I use both. And when mm. I go back to Excel, I'm like, oh, wow, everything's a bit faster. Everything's a bit better. Just mm. because it's it's just more polished, I guess. But I I do like it as well. I mean, spreadsheets have been, have been one of the very first commercial piece of software was VisiCalc, which was a spreadsheet. So they've been with us for a long time. So they clearly solve a problem. But I don't know. I feel like Excel is particularly good. 
And you know, one of the reasons why Microsoft is such a big player is, is they have all this money coming from Office. So I, I, I wish one day I'll be able to build a piece of software that is as broadly used as, as Excel. It's not easy, but maybe one day. Yeah, really cool. That was a surprisingly different answer than I was expecting. <laughs> I know. It's kind of a hot take. Uh, I, you sent me the question and answer. I was kind of thinking, okay, what can I say that is interesting? Uh, you know, there are others. I think the iPhone is very well designed as well. Um, I think the... You need to give me a proper answer, but I think this was pretty cool itself. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a few other things there that I use a lot, but I, I do feel like... This Maybe now that a... I'm a founder, I use I use Excel more because now I have to look more at the finances of the company. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last question for you, Ramiro, is uh, which open source project have you spent the most time with? That's a good question. Which one? I mean, Kubernetes, for sure, in the last five years. I've been doing a lot there. Um, Python. Before Octeta was a, a Python developer for like 10 years, so I, I did a lot of work on like sending PRs to like Python or more like the libraries as well. Uh, there's this open source project that I really like called Open Habitat that is software for like house automation. One of my hobbies is, is writing code for like house automation, lights, voice, all that stuff. And Open Habitat is a really cool software that you can run on a, on a, on a Raspberry Pi and, and they have plugins for everything. So, you know, no matter which brand of like lights or TV or whatever you have, they have plugins. It's really cool to kind of build this. Kind of like orchestration, like, oh, if I click this, if I say this word, you know, Alexa fires this, and the lights go on, and the TV, and you know, my my PlayStation, everything kind of works together. So that, I like that project a lot. It's all driven by volunteers. They don't have any commercial angle. It's it's very interesting. Oh, sounds like you're really big on automation, right from your hobby. Uh, yes. <laughs> I like writing code, and I like to see the, I like, yeah, I like, I like when you write code and things happen, and they make it easier for you, and you know, I didn't choose it, but I've always worked in this space. I, I used to work in you know, Asher, then Elastic Box, then HipChat. So it was all about building tooling. I do believe very strongly in the power of, you know, a team with the right tools goes really far. And, and the wrong tools will make you fail or it will make your life harder. So having the right tools for the right task is sometimes very important. So I, I do like that a lot. You're right. Never thought about that way. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation today. There was just so much to uh, absorb and learn from all that Ramiro was putting out uh, today. Uh, I hope you feel the same as well, all of our listeners and viewers. And if you like what you just heard from Ramiro, uh, head over to Octato's website and check out what they do. Uh, you saw a demo here. Uh, probably go and try out a demo for yourself on the uh, on their website and and see Octato in action. And if you think about uh, just the way that, you know, Famiro sees uh, the world and how software should be built, talking a lot about uh, consistent consistency and automation, just standardizing things, not reinventing the wheel. I saw a lot of that in Ramiro's, uh, you know, uh, ideas today that he shared. Uh, so hope you enjoyed the conversation. And Ramiro, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Thanks so much uh, for sharing all of your ideas. Really, I really enjoyed the chat. Uh, hope to have you again soon. Bye, West Fine. Thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Thank you for having me here. And, and I'm looking forward to hear what your 
audience have to say in the world of like automation, productivity, and standardization? Hopefully this resonates with you. And if not, I would love, love to hear. Why not? All right. All right. With that, we wrap up this episode and we hope to see you again next week for the, for the next episode of the Amazing Podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye.